is Angela Cox and I am the Mindset Mentor and this is the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. Now my aim is to discover and share the secrets of success. You'll hear engaging and uplifting interviews with business leaders at the top of their game, all primed to deliver bucketfuls of value and inspiration. We'll bring practical tips success strategies and golden nuggets of motivation to help you unleash your absolute potential. Now please do like, share and leave a review if you love this podcast. It really does help others to find us. Thanks for listening and let's jump in now and meet this week's fabulous guest. Hello and welcome to the podcast today. Now, I have the pleasure of being joined by what can only be described as a force of nature. She is the wonderful Carolyn Maloney, and Carolyn's role is the Head of Research Operations at University Hospital Leicester NHS Trust. I can't even imagine what Carolyn's life has been like during all of the COVID pandemic, alongside everything else that she does. I describe her as a force of nature because There is nothing that Carolyn can't do when she sets her mind to it. And I just absolutely love her. So I'm delighted that you're on the podcast today, Carolyn. How are you? Thank you. Reeling from that introduction, but (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I'm very good. Thank you. I can see that you're in your, it looks like you're in your bedroom. I'm in my home office. Home office. Still working at home or are you sort of doing the whole hybrid thing now? Well, this week I'm actually on annual leave, but yes, I am doing hybrid, sort of two or three days in the office and the others at home and the rest of the team are doing exactly that too, which is great. how's everybody finding it, you know, getting back into that routine of being back in the office? So initially we started introducing the concept of actually returning to the office back in March and there was a lot of hesitation, a lot of anxiety because we are essentially a administration function. We don't work clinically. And so we were lucky enough to be able to just go and work from home. Some of the team actually chose to stay in the office because it wasn't possible for them to work from home for whatever reason. And we started talking about it very openly. And there were a lot of anxieties from possible agoraphobic tendencies that had come to the fore to I really can't wait to get back in and everything in between so we've done it very gently very slowly and we've suggested up to 50 percent one way or the other for people to choose what they want to do and how they want to do it and that I think has probably helped yeah that choice is really important isn't it rather than a sort of mandated it must be this way or that way. Yes. And I think because we've given them the control of it, I think it's a lot easier. And some people who haven't ever experienced anxiety in quite the same way 
were surprised at how they were feeling and myself included you know been surprised on my anxieties about actually peopling (laughs) and people aren't that nice actually sometimes you know so actually looking after each other looking after the team Mm -hmm. and at the hospital we have this mantra which has been started from the CEO and all the way down and we just asked two questions you know are you okay am I okay and they are every single day across the whole of the organization and there is such a high focus on well-being and I think it 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 needs to remain because it's the same staff that have done everything in clinical and non-clinical who will now be bringing those horrendous waiting lists down oh my goodness yeah that's the knock-on effect isn't it I love those questions though. Are you okay? Am I okay? And and they kind of come from that element of transactional analysis as well in terms of us, you know, believing I'm okay, you're okay, but let's check in. I yeah. like that a lot. Yeah. And also not being afraid to probe a little bit because we're all very good at saying, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. And actually you're not. <laughs> and actually very gently saying, um, are, you, are you sure? Because the way I've witnessed you behave in a certain situation isn't the person I know and just gently challenging which can be difficult and I've done mental health first aid which has helped but it's still yeah you you just have to tread very carefully actually yeah that's exactly the phrase I was just thinking then that treading carefully but being curious and being interested and I think for many of us that have been isolated for so long that curiosity and interest in other people has been diminished over time because our worlds are so small. So actually making space for others is a challenge and it's something that we've got to get used to again, isn't it? Yes, I agree with that. But also I think when you ask the question, you actually care about the answer Mm -hmm. because from a corporate speak, it's all very well, you know, senior management have told me I've got to say, are you okay? Am I okay? And actually it's very easy just to follow the the corporate line and I won't do that. I want to ask, if I ask you a question, I'm, I'm wanting to know the answer. And I would like it if you were honest about your feelings. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I hope that that sort of culture within the office is, it, it, it feeds down. In the majority of cases, it feeds down. Yeah, that role modelling all the way through. And, you know, speaking of role modelling, I mean, that's just you in a nutshell, really. And this podcast is all about you. And one of the things, as you know, that we do on the pod is talk about your proudest moments. And it's something that many people find difficult to really kind of think about that and think about themselves for five minutes rather than everybody around them. So I'm going to ask you to share your top three and we'll dig into each one and see what that's meant for you and what you've learned from it. So let's go with the first one. I can't wait to hear what it is. Okay. So yeah, you're right. It, it was hard because when you actually start celebrating you, you know, you you talk from a very young age that actually you're conceited and you know, you, you should just be you should just be quiet. So my first and second were actually jostling for position, actually. <laughs> but I've gone for essentially. And I've written them down because otherwise I shall forget. But where I am now in my life, my career and feeling fabulous. Tell me about feeling fabulous. What does that mean? Being okay in my skin, actually. Accepting me for who I am 
and learning every day. And it's not something that happens without a lot of repetitive practice, which you've taught me. And it is daily repetitive practice. And it's daily affirming that, you know, okay, so you might have reacted in this particular way in the past, but that doesn't mean to say that you have to react in the same way again. You know, you you are great. You are, you know, I mean, I don't I don't tend to stand at the mirror and go, you, you know, you know what, you're you're flipping hot today. <laughs> but actually. One of the things I learned from you, and we've worked together for um, several years now, is actually to focus in on the bits of me that I don't like and tell those bits of me and my brain that actually they are amazing because when you believe it, you will become it. Mm. And you can lie to yourself conscious, so your subconscious, and it believes what you're telling it. Totally. I mean, it doesn't work all the time because sometimes, you know, you, you, women of a certain age, you're hormonal and, you know, it, it's and life gets in the way and you, you haven't got the energy and it is hard work. But actually, yeah, I'm OK. You know, it's just I, amazing to hear it. It's so amazing because there are so many women and men out there that are constantly fighting this battle with themselves. And you know as well as I do, and and you know I'm in this kind of position at the moment of being a bit fed up with the constant effort that it takes yeah. to keep yourself on that even keel. And there's so much information out there that sort of tells us that this idea of perfection is attainable, and this idea that you know you can wake up one day and life will be everything that you want it to be. And I don't subscribe to that. No. I think it's life will be as good as it can be if you put in the daily grind. And sometimes it can get a bit, oh. And I know at the moment you're studying really hard. You've got a really big job. You know, you've got a lot going on. You're committed to your health and fitness, lots and lots of balls juggling. So tell me about how you get up every morning and make that decision to prioritize you in amongst all of this other stuff that you have going on? Okay, well, that's really interesting, actually, because in the past three or four weeks, I've had a bit of an epiphany and I've never really suffered with lack of motivation. As you said at the beginning in my introduction, if I put my mind to something, <laughs> I will make sure that it happens. By fair means or foul, eventually, I will engineer things, the universe, to make sure that, you know, it doesn't always work. But, I, you know, if I put my mind to something, I will... I will achieve it. Yeah. But actually, my motivation isn't my issue. My issue is the discipline to maintain the motivation. So when the motivation is no longer there, it's discipline. Yeah. And for years and years and years, I've struggled losing weight and I'd, I'd lose half a stone, then I'd put it back on again. I'd, and I'd go hell for leather at, you know, the latest fad and you know <laughs> as we all do <laughs> oh my goodness me and it's like I have all of those tools at my disposal I just need to knuckle down and just do it and actually it's the consistency of applying the discipline and not giving myself the get out clause mm. because I am an absolute master at allowing myself to be kind but actually <laughs> And I've heard it from two people now. You were one. And I think the other was, I, I can't remember the name of the other person in the podcast I was listening to. 
but actually how will your behavior today in terms of your goals and achieving what you want to achieve affect your future self Mm. So if I decide that I can't be bothered to get on the spin class and bashed out a half an hour hit session, well, actually, that's not self-serving. I may feel tired. My legs might be shot because my personal trainers, you know, beasted me the day before. <laughs> but actually, getting that heart rate high enough to burn those pesky calories, to get rid of this pesky fat, and actually to get the spelt body that will go into the, the hobs dress that's still sitting on the rail because it won't do up and that is the only way to do it I am the only person in control of that nobody else can do that for me and so it's waking up in the morning and I I have well as you know I am super organized I plan a lot I don't write list upon list upon list but I plan and I'm getting a huge amount of satisfaction out of highlighting the stuff that I have planned and I have done and, you know, it feels great. It's blimmin' hard work, though. It, it is blimmin' hard work, but that is my focus. And actually, I lost focus through lockdown. And, you know, I was so busy, as, as you say, so very busy, ridiculously so. And it was okay because I didn't need to focus on anything else. But actually, I was cross with myself because I'd wasted a year. Oh, that's I, an I interesting term. I could have actually achieved some of my goals. But I decided that I couldn't be bothered to work hard enough because I was working too hard on other things. And it was actually a bit of a balance. So, yeah. but you know, it's, yeah, it's always a balance. I, I have regular arguments with myself and I am now not allowing myself to let myself off. It is a balance, isn't it? Between, yeah. am I being kind to myself? And you know, I always put that in inverted commas, i.e. Yeah. am I making an excuse? Yeah. Or actually, when I look at my operating window today, you know, what's in it? And is it viable for me to do something for me today? And some days we just don't have the capacity. And, you know, on a day, I'm sure you've had many days during COVID, you know, as head of research operations, my God, how much research has been going on, you know, where your days have just been absolutely jam packed and there hasn't been space for you. But on other days, there'll be days where we go as human beings, oh, I can't be bothered, I'm tired, you know, and I have got space for it, but I'm going to be kind to myself and sit on the sofa with a tub of ice cream. And and it's that, isn't it? It's that dichotomy where we've got to say to ourselves, you know, am I doing the best for me tomorrow, as you say? And I think it was Mr. Andy Cope that talked about that. He was on my podcast, actually, so that's probably why you've heard it. Because uh, yeah, that's one of his yeah. big things from a positive yeah. psychology perspective. Yeah, so, Mr. Happy. Yes. <laughs> and you're Mrs. Fabulous. And, and to be able to hear you say that you feel fabulous, you know, is just, it's breathtaking really, because that for me is the ultimate, no matter what we still want to do with ourselves and what we want to achieve, that baseline of I'm bloody brilliant anyway Oh, that's like job done. It's amazing. So yeah, even, shake your pom-poms there. I think even when you don't feel amazing, you tell yourself you feel amazing. Yes. Because then you will believe that you do. Totally on it. I love it. So what's number <laughs> two, dare I ask? Okay. So during COVID, my part and my team's part. So this this isn't me as an individual. 
this is my small part of Team UHL, but also Team Research UHL. Tell me um, what UHL stands for. University Hospitals of Leicester. Of course it does. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So our achievements throughout COVID are insurpassable. And I think some of the successes, it's a bit bittersweet really, because the phenomenal number of patients that we recruited to COVID research is sort of, it's difficult because there were a lot of patients who were very poorly. Mm. And with all of those patients who were very poorly, we managed to get 95% above 95% of every single patient who touched UHL into a research study of some description. Wow. And we also looked at the whole process. I'm a bureaucrat, basically. I eat and breathe governance. Some people love me and some people don't. And it is what it is. And Have you got the know, red it, tape, Carolyn? Is that yeah, you? I've got the red pen. And, you know, no, you're not doing it quite like that. I'll see what I can do. But you can't break the law, mate. So, you know, however, there are things that we can do in order to facilitate getting research up and running much faster. And I think our record was six hours. Wow. And so we're now looking at that. But actually, one of the reasons we internationally recognise now for our achievements through COVID is just what we did to get there, how we got there. And we were asked to participate in a couple of Zoom calls. And I think I was described as a gladiatorial. (laughs) No. Gladiatorial. (laughs) In, in one of them by one of my favorite professors and I wasn't sure what he meant but actually he said did you, you google know, it so the word I did I did <laughs> yeah and I still didn't recognize it and he said well this is why and he was saying well you know I mean I was, all I said was we just rolled up our sleeves and got on with it yeah and I think now we're looking at how we can get research open faster at UHL and I'm sort of going to be having various conversations with people because there's a regulation it's not that easy there's regulations there's laws we've got to adhere to etc and fundamental to it all is patient safety of course it is but I can remember having a conversation with somebody right in the center of COVID who said this individual needs to be able to administer this drug to this patient as part of the COVID response, but they don't have this one piece of paper. And I said, does the piece of paper mean that they don't know what they're doing? He said, well, no, it just enhances the fact that they'd have a refresher. I said, so it's not fundamental, basic training. He said, no, 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 absolutely not. It's just a piece of paper for a training course that they have to repeat every three years. So if this patient dies because they haven't been able to have this drug and I'm saying, no, they've got to do their training course, you know, I mean, that's just not sensible. Mm. It's just, you know, just let them do the flipping administration of the whatever this patient needs. And we'll deal with the fact that this person's, you know, mandatory training for for research has expired by, I don't know, six weeks or, or whatever. 
Well, what have they been doing for the past six weeks? They've been freaking saving lives. You know, and it's, it's the like, risk. Oh, it's the on. risk assessment, yeah. isn't it? In that moment, yeah. What does it mean for the patient? What's the risk of not doing yeah. it? Yeah, absolutely. That and takes talking, some adaptability, you know, though, for you. Yeah, it does. But actually, I'm a pragmatist, and I'm internationally recognised for my pragmatism and proportionality. And some people think that I'm a bit. Some of the decisions I sometimes make are maybe not the ones that they would, and. I know the rules and I know what's safe. And actually, the clinicians are the best place people to look after their patients. And I'm not a clinician. You know, I'm head of governance. So I know what the law says. And I also know what you've got to do in order to do what you're doing. But the other thing is, before we start a research study, normally we would do lots of checks and balances. And one of those checks and balances is funding. So is there enough money to pay for the research so that we're not taking money away from routine patient care? Is the indemnity there? Well, yes, the indemnity is there because, you know, everything's indemnified up to the hilt, particularly with drug research. And has it had national approval? Well, Chris Whitty, one of my heroes and JVT, I have to say, absolute heroes. In fact, I made myself a mug with JVT rocks and we love witty and <laughs> they set up with the national institute for health research a urgent public health research scheme essentially and research studies that have to be absolute high priority for every single trust have to do these particular covid research studies well frankly if the department of health and the government are going to say we want you doing this research mm. It will have all of the appropriate indemnity. It will have all of the, and the MHRA as well, if they're saying this is safe. I absolutely trust my governance bodies and my regulatory bodies for their decision. And through COVID, everything was centralised, or to a certain extent, things were centralised. And then the local decisions were based on capacity. But all of the fundamental big decisions were actually made at the centre. So that was almost a a bit of a a cushion, as it were. Yes. Because if I happened to make the wrong decision, it wasn't as bad as it would have been in normal circumstances. Yeah. Not that any of my decisions would ever have any impact on patient care or patient safety. They wouldn't. So, you know, it was a different environment. But if we could do it then, I mean, I'm not suggesting for one minute we could possibly approve a research study within six hours, you know, in real in every time. And in actual fact, the clinical areas wouldn't want us to do that anyway, because they need time to fit it into everything as as well. You know, so it's it's um, it's a balance. It It is a huge balance. Yeah, yeah, always. And the, the kind of the learnings now from this. And every business has experienced this. The burning yeah. platform has forced this different way of working, which wouldn't ever have even been considered no. pre-COVID. No. And yet these changes, fundamental changes have been made in many organisations. And now it's looking at which parts of that do we take forward? And as you say, even from a finance perspective, many of the ways of working aren't sustainable long term. But there are some essences of them that can be embedded in the future ways of working. 
and pragmatism is a really great word particularly in a regulatory area or a governance area it's that kind of bringing that pragmatic element to it so that the patient's always first is is a joy to hear well you you know research by nature pushes boundaries and by nature answers questions that there are no answers to or answers different questions and patients do very well when they're on research studies and you know we were we were lucky in in as much as we were able to maintain quite a few uh, the majority of our cancer studies for example but yeah I mean it's had a huge impact but I am absolutely resolute in my determination that the learnings we've had from COVID will not be wasted But what's interesting, actually, and it from a human perspective, and I'm always quite interested in human behaviour and how people react. And those people who are usually resistant to change Mm. and who all know we can't possibly do that. But what what about what if, you know, that flipping what if? Well, yeah, but what if it doesn't? Yeah. And, you know, it's a bit like that analogy. Yeah, but what if it goes wrong? Yeah, but what if I fall? But what what if you fly? What if I fly? Exactly. Exactly. And what's the worst thing that could happen if you actually get the decision wrong? Well, the worst thing that can happen is you actually learn something. Yes. You know, and actually you can use that moving forward to the next occasion. But those people who are typically, no, I'm not doing it because it's change, were the people who said, right, okay, what do we need to do? Brilliant. And the people who were right, okay, yeah, I love change. What you know, what what do we need to do? But oh, are we are we quite sure? So it, it's <laughs> almost you know, too much freedom. <laughs> yeah, which itself was scary. So yeah, yeah, we're we're not going back to we're not going yeah. back to a hundred percent pre-COVID. And you know, you talk about this being a team effort, and I know it absolutely is. But yeah. This element of, you know, I remember talking to you in those early days of COVID and, and you were working a ridiculous number of hours with yeah. so much pressure in terms of adapting to this change. So yeah. the personal element that you brought to it was enormous. Yeah, and there were times right at the beginning where I wasn't sure where I was going to get the resilience that I needed to, to see me through. And yes, I was working ridiculous hours. But then so was everybody else and there wasn't a choice. And my COVID journey started two weeks before anybody else because my husband went down with it. And so I was quarantined. So I was trying to get all of my team working from home, evacuated from the hospital building, as it were, working from home. We didn't have any systems set up, you know, properly. Not everybody had the facilities at home that they Mm. needed. Not all of us have even laptops, let alone a camera or a microphone. <laughs> and it's like, right, what do we need to do? And can you please organise it? Because I'm trying to do this with one hand time behind yes. the back <laughs> and trying to sort out my own functionality. And being and, a nurse. <laughs> well, well, Where did no, you find that? <laughs> no, no, I just plied in with adequate jelly. Um, was it wine gums, squash and coffee? <laughs> And he was he was fine. Left by the fact, door. And the, well, the neighbours would post wine gums through the through the letterbox. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, and paracetamol. 
yeah so oh, I love it yeah it was it it was brill it was brill. but that's the other thing actually about COVID is the community I live on a fantastic yes. road and the community we got a WhatsApp group and we were helping each other mm. and when I was then allowed out doing each other's shopping and the community element of that has been phenomenal and, and yeah. parts of that have stayed as well. It's really brought connectivity between people. I just love that. Mm. So another massive pom-pom moment there and, and definitely one to be proud of. So we've had your fabulous. We've had the amazing work that you've done at University Hospital Leicester. What else have you got on the list? So this one was quite hard because I could have gone, you know, anywhere in my 55 years. But I've decided that actually getting onto and taking steps to apply for and be successful in achieving acceptance onto my level seven apprenticeship in apprenticeship masters in leadership and management. I'm like shaking Um, my pom-poms for you. Yeah, I mean, that was... (laughs) Uh, the biggest pom-pom was actually because so I left school with apparently no chance of doing anything with my life because I didn't apply myself in fact I hated school absolutely hated it and I started to achieve when I left school but as a result I didn't go to university I got a grade d o level I think was my highest achievement in academic studies at school and that was in music and I only achieved a d because I got a third of that because I'd past grade five theory with a distinction so it was kind of <laughs> you know so the clarinet and the piano came in very handy but yeah I hated school and in fact I don't have very many friends from school at, at all and so went on to do a hotel reception um, city and guilds in hotel reception couldn't get a job because I didn't have any experience anyway so that old you know that old chestnut mm. and that so I ended up becoming a florist and bought my own business and and stuff and still no formal education whatsoever and everything I'd learned I did it myself yeah so it was only when I arrived in the NHS in 2003 which and that was by accident as well and that <laughs> as was, these that things was through, always are <laughs> yeah and that was through a temping agency and again all of my academics to all my administration skills were Mm self-taught except no formal qualifications at all so I went to uni and did a research modules thing in 2006 and then I went and did you chose to do that yeah I know oh Carolyn it was 30 m points and it was part of my pdp as part of my as part of my role i didn't have a clue what i was doing so um and it was at essex university and it was you know i mean i passed i can't remember well you know i can remember but, you know I, I can remember bits of it but yeah and then i did uh, a pg dip in research ethics because i thought that i needed to do something to achieve more senior posts within the nhs in actual uh-huh. fact i didn't, didn't. And actually, that's total rubbish. But somebody suggested that. So so essentially, I hadn't been to uni properly at all, ever. And then somebody I have quite a lot of, of time and respect for suggested that I did um, a degree in leadership and management. And I I sort of looked at it and I said, what? You know, so well, I think you probably really benefit from it. So, OK, I'll have a look. 
So there was I looking at the level six apprenticeship because the level seven apprenticeship requires an overnight stay in an outward bounds. And I hate that sort of thing. <laughs> I will avoid it like the plague. I won't go to things that have like, you know, charades and, you know, you know, standing up in front of people, making yourself look stupid. You know, no, it's not like, and I hate role play. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Me too. Hate it, hate it. And so this weekend away with people on my course as part of the course was like, no, not doing it. And so my colleague turned around, he's just looked at me and he said, have a word. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, just (laughs) So just suck it up. Just, you know, do what you tell other people to do. Just suck it up and get on with it. Uh, yeah okay <laughs> so I I enrolled and yeah I was accepted so now I started in October fitting it in with a very busy full-time more than full-time job is tough and my organizational skills come in incredibly handy but yes. we were talking before about my ability to procrastinate has increased as well. <laughs> and it's kind of, I never thought that my skirting boards and my ironing board would be more attractive than writing an essay on risk management, <laughs> but they are. I can so, see why. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. However, the journey so far has been amazing. I am enjoying learning more about the aspects of leadership and management that I didn't know and by no means do I know all there is but I do know more than I thought I did brilliant so yeah you know this girl who won't amount to much when you left school you know you know if you applied yourself you'd do far better yeah but actually I don't want to apply myself because I'm bored I don't want to do what you want me to do because I don't I'm not interested and actually, I've never lost that. I've still got that. You know, if you don't interest me, I'm off. <laughs> Get bored very easily. So, yeah. Yes, I'm actually a proper student doing a proper MSc in a proper university. And by probably this time next year, you will have that boxed off and you'll have achieved it. Yes, absolutely. It's amazing. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm currently halfway through my fourth assignment which is amazing but the anxiety oh my goodness the anxiety when I submitted my first essay because I don't know how people want me to write yeah you're waiting for the big crosses yeah (laughs) you know a friend of mine said you write really well I said do I okay she said well yeah you do has nobody ever told you I said well no and they this well, you do. And so that I obviously wrote appropriately. And I always thought to myself, I'm not a strategist. I don't do strategy. I'm operations. But actually, no, I do. Oh, you're a big brain. thinker. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So, but the anxiety of getting the first marks for my first assignment were incredible. And I haven't realised how wound up I was getting. And I was <laughs> so emotional when I opened the email I burst into tears and I was like because you got a distinction didn't you in the first I got a distinction for part of it and a credit for the other part of it so overall it was a credit well a merit yeah a merit mark and I'm like what 
they must have marked it wrong. But yeah, I was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was amazing. So, and I'm waiting now for my, so I've got a pass for my second one because I didn't reference the appendices properly. Oh, bloody references. Yeah, absolutely. I know. Well, there was the appendices, for Christ's sake. And I'm like, mm, yeah, okay, so lessons <laughs> learned. So that would have been a merit as well. But it wasn't, it was a high pass. So it is what it is. And then I passed. I don't, you know, don't care. Exactly that. It. No one's going to ask you it, what no, the score was. No, absolutely. And then I'm just waiting for my, my mark for workforce planning and again you know the experiences from covid and everything yes. just throw everything in the textbook out the window so all textbooks are going to have to be yeah, rewritten just like rewritten. policies and procedures yeah so yeah, um, the whole world has changed absolutely it, it's interesting here you're talking about the writing because one of the challenges i have as you know i'm doing the same sorts of things and all my time through kings i would get feedback that I would write in too simplistic a way and I needed to write in a more academic way, which goes massively against my values because I'm all about accessibility, yep. making the complex simple. And so when I signed up for the doctoral study, I said, right, this is the way I'm going to write. And is it going to be accepted? Because I don't want this feedback all the way through that says I need to be more academic. And they said, oh, no, it'd be fine because you're doing a professional doctoral study as opposed to an academic PhD it's all good so I was like thank god for that because I find that hugely frustrating yeah you see I've recently I mean over the past 12 to 18 months I've been learning more about writing papers for the board etc and I'm a really good waffler and I've had some really good mentoring from two people within the organization and basically said don't assume knowledge so oh, don't assume yeah. that people know what you're talking about. Yeah. Because most people don't. Somebody recently described my knowledge of research governance as encyclopedic. And I know it. So I expect everybody else to yes, know it. Yes, it's so true that. And, you know, you said, well, what do you mean I need to go into? But this is really ABC basic because, yes, but that's how it needs to be. But it needs to be ABC basic, appropriately referenced and succinct yes that's where Grammarly comes in you see yes it takes a sentence that's like you know 10 times longer than it needs to be and it goes how about you do it like this like well yes so yeah so my husband's recently introduced me to Grammarly I've not used it yet but actually when you're struggling to find 3,000 words anyway and it reduces by about 500 it's not for the help But yeah, so writing board papers and and actually writing SOPs. So SOPs, oh, I've been at SOPs without thinking. They bore me to death, but I know I can churn them out, and they speak to people because they can understand how you know what what they're supposed to be doing, and and so I you know so I write those. But writing an SOP and writing an academic paper is very different. But the thing I've I've learned very quickly is. If you make a statement, you need to back it up with evidence. Yes, love it. And you can't use the evidence from the Sun newspaper. You have to use the evidence <laughs> from, you know, appropriate academic sources or trusted sources, yeah, shall we say. primary sources. We love those. <laughs> and talk, and yeah, and, and speaking in the third person rather yes. than the first person. And that's quite hard as well. 
And rather than stating something as fact because you know it is, you have to say, well, anecdotally, yeah, it might be that so-and-so. The wonderful joys of critical thinking. Oh, do you know what? What you've covered today in a nutshell is basically your baseline is I am enough as I am. You've got this essence of being able to adapt to changing circumstances and really lean in to uncertainty and find your way through that. And then this real kind of commitment to continuous improvement and learning. Mm. So, you know, from a human perspective, that's all anyone could ever ask of anybody. And this is why I describe you as a force of nature. Thank you. And so I can't wait to hear then what you believe the secret to success is. And you were going to ask me this. So I've given this some thought and I was talking to my husband about it earlier in the week. And he said, well, the first job you got in the NHS, you blagged it. No, I didn't blag it, you know. But actually, being in the right place at the right time is part of it. But actually, it's much deeper than that. It's actually recognizing opportunities that are presented to you and actually being brave enough to jump at it and not be too worried about what happens if it doesn't work. Because if it doesn't work, then you haven't lost anything, but you might have lost something if you don't try. A friend of mine is applying for a job. Oh, I don't know if I want it. I don't know if, you know, I said, look, you give yourself opportunity. If you apply for the job and you get interviewed, then you give yourself the opportunity. If you don't apply for the job and you you won't get an interview, so therefore you don't have the opportunity in the first place. And what have you got to lose? So so what you're talking about, it's the courage to create and take the opportunities, but there's an essence of vulnerability in there as well. So we're into oh, yeah. Brené Brown sure. territory. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of my heroes. Love. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, that's something else. I mean, recently, and this is only recent years, and I think it, it's since I did the first me treat with you three years ago, I think it Gosh, was now. Yeah. And it's actually about, I used to find it really hard to be honest with people around me about how I'm feeling about and you know some people won't ever know how I truly feel because I don't trust them with my feelings. Yep, trust Um, is important. Very much so but recognizing as a leader recognizing that actually you have vulnerabilities and accepting your vulnerabilities and letting other people know that you're vulnerable yeah you know actually they feel safer with you so it's scary it's scary to do but it it works so yeah so secrets of success being brave oh I love it and I just love that (laughs) sentence that you've just said about your vulnerability allows other people to feel safer with you. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it does. Amazing. Do you know what? I feel like I've been talking to a friend for the last half an hour, 40 minutes or so. It's just such an easy conversation. You, you know, you really are a spectacular woman, a spectacular leader and an amazing friend. So thank you for being so very open. And for sharing your pom-poms 
with us. What's the rest of the day got in store for you today? Second Paw Patrol. So we walk a neighbour's two dogs on occasion to help them. They're working. Yeah. So whilst I'm working from home, I can go out and have half an hour walk. But sometimes it's like before seven o'clock in the morning. That's a bit rude. But <laughs> when you're on holiday. But actually, it's it's great because it gets the steps in early. Yeah. So, yeah, so another Paw Patrol and we call it Paw Patrol because that's what we do. And mm, part two of risk management essay. Oh, the joy, the joy. You were holding up a textbook earlier and I was just like, really? Mm. (laughs) Risk culture and risk appetite, (laughs) which is actually quite hard from a pragmatist point of view. Oh, my God, yes. You know, know, let's just do it anyway. You know, let's see what's the worst going to happen. And now that I know that you're an expert in research, having to go through this at the moment, and it's killing me, the boredom of it, I'm just going to be phoning you up going, come on, help me sort my research project out. (laughs) Well, if you're doing it in the NHS, I can help you, but I can't help you for research methodologies and and all of that sort of thing. Shame. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, you're on your own with that, love. (laughs) Oh, Carolyn, it's been a joy. Thank you for being so open and honest. And yeah, just good luck with the rest of the Masters. We'll be in touch as we always are. And thank you for sharing. Thank you. It's been a joy. I do hope that you enjoyed listening to the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. If you did, be sure to check out the show notes to access all of those important links. For more about me, visit my website at www.angela-cox.co.uk. Now, I'd really love it if you could subscribe to our channel so that you never miss an episode. And do leave us a five-star review because it really helps us to get noticed. Bye for now. I do hope that you'll tune in next week and take good care.